Well, there's now on at the cinema. Well, nothing that's new and worth watching. <laughs> we could just go into town, do a bit of window shopping. Window shopping? Yeah, why don't you just both go and get your hair done while you're at it? Do you like football? Yeah, I play for my school. There you go. Take him up the red rag for a kickabout. <clears throat> Dylan, I could pour you a pint, I could sing you Abba's entire back catalogue, or I could knock you up a fabulous pair of undercrackers, but kickabouts, I don't really do them. Hello and welcome to episode 126 of the Talk of the Street, an unofficial Coronation Street catch-up podcast that's impressed that Scott, while as terrible a gangster and an armed robber as we imagined he was going to be, at least knew the Corey Grand Theft Auto cheat codes to get rid of his wanted stars and make all those pesky armed police officers disappear. I'm Gavin. <gasps> and I'm so happy to see you, Miss Moneypenny. Oh, too soon. R.I.P. Too soon. R.I.P. Mr. Connery. Oh, that's what that was? <laughs> Yes. Oh, I thought you were doing uh, your Jimmy Stewart impersonation. No, Jimmy Stewart wasn't Scottish. Neither was that. <laughs> well, fine. <laughs> you're sure your Sean Connery is much better. Yes. Yes. <laughs> you're a shite for sure, ain't you, Miss Moneybenny? <laughs> Etc. Rower. 90 years young. Rower. I'm never really a fan of John Connery. <laughs> <laughs> he was former Mr. Universe, would you believe? I would. Would you? Yeah. Yeah, I've, I've seen pictures of Sean Connery with his shirt off. I totally believe that. Right. Yeah. He was pretty hot back in the day. Uh, where, where are we going with this? And built... Very well. You know who else was surprisingly hot and very well built back in the day? Tsar Nicholas. Who? The the last Tsar of, of Russia. I don't know. For some reason, on Twitter last night, I saw a picture of his ass. So, because somebody had taken a picture of him swimming naked. And I was like, wow, the Tsar was really fit. You'd think he could have, like, taken a few Cossacks down with him before he... And his family got murdered. Maybe being buff isn't an indication of strength. Maybe. Hmm. Why on the earth are we talking about any of this? <laughs> because Sean Connery died this morning. Or last night. Or was it this morning? Well, I think it was... I think it was this morning. Oh, the man is dead. That's the man thing. is dead, yes. And we found out about it this morning. It was like the first thing that, that, buzzed, that buzzed my phone this morning. Some, my phone somebody buzzed. else died. Well... Clearly, lots of people lots died. Lots of people died. But somebody else that was famous died today. I just saw Sean Connery. I can't recall who it was. I know that Bobby Ball died. I have no idea this who week. That is. A f- famous uh, British comedian from the 1980s. Rock <laughs> on, Tommy. He wore braces, as in suspenders, uh-huh. that became a thing. When I was at school, when I was like seven or eight, everybody had a pair of suspenders on red bright red suspenders that you would pull away from yourself with your thumb and say rock on tommy that was a catchphrase Aww. and then you pulled your suspenders all out of shape and they stopped keeping your trousers up 
And that was when that fad came to an end. Uh, people used to wear, wear uh, rain, the rainbow suspenders here because of Mork and Mindy. Right. Robin Williams. Also dead. He's dead as well. Yes, he's been dead for some time though. Mm-hmm. Still makes me sad. Thatcher is also dead. <laughs> We're not sad checked, about that one. I checked this morning. She's still dead. Still dead. Um, it's so cold. Gillian Anderson is going to be playing. She's not dead. No, but she's going to be playing Margaret Thatcher in The Crown. Can you imagine that? No. Look, Meryl Streep's done it once. Just wheel her back out again and get her to do it again. I don't think Meryl Streep does Netflix shows. Yeah, she's not interested in money in the slightest. <laughs> I'm sure people shove projects at Meryl Streep all the time. You think? I, I, I wouldn't. She picks and chooses what she wants to do. I, I think she picks and chooses, but I think people are offering her stuff all the time. So. I wonder if you'd do Timbot 4000 for us. <laughs> if the price was right. You want her to say Timbot? I know that Snoop Dogg would. <laughs> His fee is $3.5 million. He'll say whatever the fuck you'll want me to say. You should get uh, um, Joe team to do anything. No, because it's too close to <laughs> it's too close to being Tim. In fact, it is Tim. Right? Yeah, that's that's the whole point. Uh, you've got your hood up this morning, <laughs> and I'm, you've got a hat on. And I'm wearing a sweater, which I never wear unless I'm going out, or unless it's freezing here because our heating's broken down. Which it has. I wrote down two nights ago, and I went down to the basement, and the pilot light had gone out. So I'd lit, relit the pilot light before, so I knew what to do, kinda, which was get that stick lighter thing, mm-hmm. take the door off the furnace, switch it off, turn it to pilot, mm-hmm. hold down a little button that for some reason has to be red, hold that down while clicking the lighter stuck inside the furnace which i always do whilst looking away from the furnace right just in case it because if it blows up me turning my head away from it will <laughs> that's sure, gonna save will it surely that's gonna save, save you yes so it lit in a little pilot light mm-hmm. lit up are we out of gas no then you turn it to on and <laughs> the burners come on right and they practically took my eyebrows off because it'd been off all day so trying to heat the water right. back up again it required a lot of flame, so there was heat pulsing out of this furnace as I'm trying mm-hmm. to get this, again, for some reason, metal door back onto the um, the bottom of the furnace where the pilot light lives, which was becoming increasingly hot. Mm-hmm. I ended up having to take my my shirt off to cover my, my fingers to put this door back in place again because the door was now melting my fingerprints hot. Uh-huh. To get that back on again. And we got our our hot water was pumping through the radiators quite happily. And then over the night, the burners just went off, which I think is a thermal coupler, which we've had re- replaced before ah. years ago. It's weird because we still have hot water. We just don't have heat. Well, that's a hot water tank that's doing the hot water. Yeah, which we just got replaced. Which isn't funny at all because that's, that's its job. That was just to hold the hot water. No, it has a pilot light as well. It heats the water up. Oh. The furnace does the You're central becoming heating. a regular HVAC man over here. No. <laughs> you follow the, the pipes. Put you to work. I'm <laughs> as an HVAC man. Yeah. 
the, the guy who looks away while he's trying to ignite a flame is definitely the guy that you want in your house doing your, your HVAC for you. Oh. Oh, otherwise, it's Halloween, finally. Is it Halloween today? Yes. Are we doing anything for that? I'm not doing anything for that, am I? No. Oh, thank God. The kids, the kids are going with their friends, trick-or-treating, wearing masks and being socially distant. I'm going to move our our fire ring over to the side yard and light a fire and sit out there. I have my little clicker thing, my little grabber thing that I had when I had uh, surgery to pick things up from far away. Your prosthetic limb. <laughs> and I'm going to use that to hand out candy so that... Can I- you just leave it in a bowl and let people pick it out? Then you don't have to be involved at all. What's the fun in that? Where's the fun in any of this? I'm just, I'm, you know, I'm already sad that, ni- that for the first time ever, I will be walking around with the kids because they're too old for me. They've been too old for you for a while. You <laughs> were walking, Stelly. You, you were walking around for you. You weren't walking around for the kids. I think. Surely, surely not for Stelly. Well, I but. shall hopefully be sitting in a nice warm <clears throat> house. Watching horror movies. Playing Halloween Factorio. As I, I'm approaching a very significant milestone in this game. Ooh. Of playing it for 2,000 hours. <laughs> what what scary movies should we watch today? The new Borat movie. I don't, I don't know if the kids are ready for Borat. Oh, should, oh, should we all watch? Well, that's kind of not limit season. The field somewhat, doesn't it? We can, uh, I guess we can figure this they out have while, seen, while we're not recording a podcast. They have seen Alien and Terminator 2, so a little bit of gore is okay. It's not going to tear for... Let's remember, these kids are were more freaked out by Nosferatu than Alien. But too young for Borat. I, <laughs> that noise that Helen made there was... <laughs> I don't know. I, some of the... I haven't heard great reviews of the second one. I watched the first five minutes of it. It's instantly forgettable. I, I laughed a couple of times though. Yeah, it's it. the The critique I've heard the most is that it's too little, too late. Like the world is such a shithole that none of this is funny anymore. No, it's funny. It's just not as funny as, <laughs> as it was the first time. Shall we preamble with you? Yes, please. Give me some of that Corey news. That was my Kazakhstan <laughs> accent. My wife. I am Very nice. There we go. That's it. That's it. Kind news. That wasn't bad. <laughs> For my wife. Oh God. Is it is it sad that Borat catchphrases never leave your brain? Do you know what scene is like it from the first movie? It's just ingrained in my memory and I can't get rid of it. Naked wrestling. Yes. Yep. You know me so well. <clears throat> Back to more serious stuff. See you next summer. See what I did there? You almost made a pun. <laughs> Matilda Freeman has announced she's leaving the cobbles. So our summer will be getting a new face. The face of Harriet Bibby. We've loved watching Matilda grow into a talented wee actor and wish her all the best in further endeavors. Yeah. Sad to see her go. 
it kind of made you think that she was almost relying on this gig and the 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 drying up of the the episodes of what which featured her mm-hmm. kind of made her decide to look elsewhere. Yeah. Can't blame her. No, she had an actor you want to be acting, right? Yeah, but it seems like she's got something lined up anyway. So yeah, that's what. It, and yeah, it's not like um, the old Addie who left to concentrate on school. Yep, which kind of uh, implies that the new Addie couldn't give a shit about his studies. <laughs> As the show touches on the death of a child, Corey actors are speaking on their experiences. Kim Marsh and Alison King gave birth the same day, 11 years ago. However, Kim's son, Archie, died shortly after. Alison felt immense guilt, but the friends still get together each year to celebrate the birthdays of both children. So, you know, a very strong bond has, has formed between the two of them through this, which I think is lovely. Right. Yeah. Finally, not many, uh, not many jokes to be found in, in n- that story. No. Finally, as the UK faces a possible second lockdown, what does this mean for Corey? Well, nothing has, official has been said. We know the Christmas and 60th anniversary episodes have already been filmed, so there shouldn't be a need to trim down to three episodes again, especially oh. since the lockdown is supposed to only be a month for a month. Hmm. Knock. I'm knocking on wood right now. Good for the show, bad for those of us who review it. Yeah, I think they should definitely go to three or possibly two episodes a week. <laughs> oh, that's Corey News. That is. I, I do have to say, I mean, the quality between three episodes and six is noticeable. In the difference. Way? It seems like... I ask not knowing the answer to that. <laughs> you know the answer to that. Of course, but... <laughs> It seems like when they when it was just three that the stories were more focused and cohesive. I don't know. Are we looking through rose-tinted spectacles back at the days when we had three episodes a week? I'm sure there were some stinking weeks there where nothing happened. <clears throat> and it just feels like we've had... Remember two or three weeks ago we had a spectacular week? Uh-huh. And since then it, it hasn't been spectacular. No. Well, I guess in the days of... Three days a week episodes or three episodes a week those three weeks of non-spectacular would have translated to six weeks of non-spectacular mm. yikes i don't know it just it just feels like there was more focus you know and you could complete a thought in a week ironically better with three than with six I think it worked out well with the um, potential cliffhangers that were scheduled to happen like between the scheduled. 7.30 and the 8.30 episodes. Well, that's, that's how you like to say it. And <laughs> if something would happen, you'd be, oh my God, it's like when Yasmin stood up to and took in her breath to, right. well, that was the end of episode one of that night. Right. So the answer to that question came half an hour later in, right. in real life or watching BritBox right. immediately. Whereas how we experienced it, we had a weekend between episode one and episode two, and that that kind of made it better, didn't it? it did a little bit. The, yeah. That cliffhanger became something. It became right. a, a proper cliffhanger that you and had to. And then it just kind of fell flat. <laughs> well, she was never going to say guilty, but it was a really, <laughs> it was a really strong end to that episode. Yes. And that's Corey news. And that is Corey news. Our hindsight corner and mailbag kind of merge into one. Ooh. But let's say hindsight corner, so I can play that little. Harpy thing, and then you can make a noise. 
Scott got in touch. Our Mercy Tart friend and author of Five Things We Learned About Corey this week. Yes. I understand it's going to be a day late. And has kind of ruined my Saturday morning a little bit. Aww. Hey folks, he says, in this week's episode, Helen said Ed was the only cast member who'd been in Doctor Who. Guess what Scott's about to tell you. That there were more. Not so. Dame Helen Worth was in Colonnade Space back in 1971 before Gail Potter, Tilsley, Platt, Hillman, Platt, McIntyre, Rodwell ever showed up on the street. Enclosed as a picture of her looking, well, looking a lot like Gail, actually. There are probably loads of others, and you'll get all the nerds writing in, but this one immediately came to mind, so I thought I'd beat the rush. Thank you, Scott. And he includes, closed, as as I suggest, a picture of Gail looking like Gail in a science fiction role, which was quite amusing. That's delightful. That's that's almost as, it's almost as good as whoever is photoshopping her into Melania Trump's body. I did one of them. Did you? Yes. <laughs> I did the one when she was voting. Oh, you did that? Was that? Me. Yes. that was you? Yes. That was really well done. It wasn't well done. If you look closely at it, you can see my shitty Photoshop uh, jagged edges. But when you look at it, like on your phone or just on Twitter, it, it does actually look okay. It looks really good. No, I mean, well, the helicopter one. I didn't do that, that one. I, which you didn't do. There's an obvious difference in skin tone between the neck and the rest of the body. Yeah, I locked out that. So. The the light that was shining on Melania was similar to the light that was shining on Gail. So yeah, her eyes could have been doing a little bit more <laughs> to the left just to make it look like she was looking at her voting thing. But I'm not going to complain about that. And also, nineteen seventy. It brought me great joy and only eleven likes. What is wrong with Twitter? <laughs> I thought was, this is going to go viral. Surely and you it, never know never what's does. going to go viral. You, you can't. Guess it. You you can't. You really can't. Um. Yeah, 1971 was a little bit before my time. You've probably seen it. You've seen them all. I haven't seen them all. Because up until we finally got BritBox, it was very difficult to get the classic episodes. But 71, is that that Pertwee? Oh, that's before Pertwee, isn't it? It's after Pertwee. No, because that's Tom Baker. Tom Baker was later in the 70s, I think, wasn't he? Oh, I don't know. I don't watch this. Anyway. Anyway. Britain is small. Everyone acts and everything. Yes, it's so true. Th- th- this, there are probably more. This is true. I invite people to tell us. Yes. And then I can tell Helen. <laughs> and then she can tell me to stop telling her. <laughs> I know this. I'm going to have to rewatch though, now that I'm on BritBox. And now this? No. Yes. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, maybe not. There we go. I don't touch anything then. Have his now fills with the wire. Step away from the wire. And welcome, welcome, welcome. Oh, welcome. Welcome. Welcome to last year tonight this morning with me. Wow, that's really loud. John Oliver. That's a lot of it. You're much more attractive than John Oliver. Do you know, I made in the SpongeBob SquareCast's Patreon. You have that game show. I have show a quiz music. and have yeah. game show music that sounds like this. That Stella and I sing along to with random words every this is a Spongebob question blah 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 right right and then we had the quiz that had no music on it at all so I made this little bed of music to play kind of like who wants to be a millionaire to play as I'm asking the questions and mm-hmm. it sounds like this kind of moody and atmospheric right, right as I'm asking these questions yeah. as we listened to it it sounded awful it sounded really crackly uh-huh. and Stella just got sick of it and begged me to turn it off, which I eventually did. Uh-huh. But when you listen to it in the episode, it's absolutely fine. 
<laughs> so you can imagine Chris Tarrant doing Who Wants to Be a Millionaire on top of this music. Who? <laughs> the Who Wants to Be a Millionaire guy. You mean... Um, no, I don't mean whoever you're going to say. <laughs> I mean Chris Tarrant. Or now Jeremy Clarkson, who does it? You have who, you Jeremy, Jeremy Clarkson. Clarkson doing that? Mm-hmm. He must, he, he must be hard up for, for money. I doubt it. Anyway. Who wants to sit and talk to Jeremy Clarkson in a game show? Other racists? Well, do you want to... Well, remember, he's just racist for money for a deadline every week in the Sunday <sighs> Times or whatever. It's almost like he doesn't think those things at all. Ah. Just enough time to... Anyway, yeah, last year tonight. So, just enough time to quickly talk about Kebab Casanova. This was Weather Gazette's impression of Chesney, who was caught hugging him on the street by the paps, so to speak. Uh-huh. I was Gavin and you were chilly. <laughs> How history repeats itself. You were quite pleased with yourself because it had been Halloween the previous day. It snowed, it was blowing a gale, I was miserable, I had leaking shoes. Everyone at work was amazed that we stayed out for the majority of the two hours and most people's kids gave up after 15 minutes. Uh, Not our kids. No, our kids stayed out longer than we did. Daniel had. You were Ant-Man. We've covered this, I think. You were Ant-Man and Silly was the Wasp. Daniel has a Sinead-shaped hole in his life that Beth thinks he's trying to fill with an omnipresent Bethany. Gemma's going stir-crazy with Chesney and her mum eat each other's throats and spies a chance to get a cheeky wee breakaway to lovely Chandidno and sees a cable car with her name written all over it for the viewers see something else altogether. And uh. Chesney has a surprise of his own in store. Ooh. He proposed marriage, remember? Yeah. They're still not married. No, they still aren't. It's a year ago. Tim's dad doesn't waste any time in infuriating Alia and Yasmin with his plans for speed dial and spending the restaurant's money on <laughs> fancy Californian business courses, remember that? And for reasons no one can completely fathom, his bucket remained remarkably unkicked. In the time Chesney and Gemma have been engaged, <laughs> Sarah and Adam got engaged, got married, and split up. <laughs> right. Gary and Maria become close after a successful date at the Rovers. Uh-huh. They're in real danger of getting much closer still until Emma's appendix decides to explode and protest. <laughs> it didn't work, Emma's appendix. It didn't work. Let's take Tracy to Spain. Kathy memorises babies. Gail is dressed like a pirate. Our moment of the week was Gemma quietly admiring her new kids a few hours after having a C-section. And our boring moment of the week was Tim's dad looking, uh, booking himself on that stupid Californian business course. I don't know if he ever actually went on that, did he? It probably just spent on hookers anyway. Mm. And that's Coronation Street and the talk of the street this time last year. Aha. Uh-huh. 22 minutes. Shall we dive in, my dear? Yes, please. Our first storyline tonight, today. today, this morning, is our last, last storyline story tonight. This morning, today, today. This morning. So our next story is George and Mary. I'm so fucking furious. It's not even funny. Remember it's a last, little funny. Remember last week when we said if this happens, if X happens, then we're going to be very pissed off. Or I said I would be very pissed off. Get ready for X to happen. Yes. Mary has a date with George and is keen on Eileen to come along as a third wheel. Seemingly, George is keen on this too. Seemingly, it was George's idea. Todd reckons that this means George is getting moist for Eileen and not for Mary. Ah, uh, don't say that. Ah. Uh. Ah, <laughs> uh, that's like the grossest thing you've ever said. It's just a word. It's Mary- gross when you say it that way. It's okay when you're talking about cake, but not when you're talking about penises. Ah. Uh. Mary is in the rovers with a gloop of mascara in her eye that Jenny tells her about. 
she's worried about meeting George. She's a little bit anxious about the whole thing. Which is weird because haven't they gone on dates before? I don't think they've been on official dates. I don't know if this is officially a date if Eileen's talking along. Because I thought for sure she she had gone out. They had gone out a couple of times by now, hasn't she said? I don't think so. Oh, Later, Todd drops in on his mum at Speed Doll because he's a nut and wankstein. In comes Mary with George, who is very apologetic to Eileen for being late. Todd is a sarky prick, but Mary, much to the disdain of Eileen and George, tell him to stay. The more the merrier, she says. Conversation has turned to eco-burials. Todd says he's been planning his own funeral and he wants to get buried bent over double with his bum in the air. But George has heard this before. Yeah, so your partner's got somewhere to park his bike, says George. I don't think that's what Todd meant. (laughs) I don't think it's his partner's bike that Todd is thinking about getting parked anywhere. An embarrassed Todd makes his excuses and leaves. Bike Bike is a euphemism for... No, that is the joke that you've some place to park your bike. Uh-huh. But I don't think that's really you what Todd's th- talking about. You don't think he's talking about, you know, when his partner dies. Them inserting when his partner dies. Him, them inserting his partner into him for an eternal copulation. It's a necrophilia joke, I think. Mm-hmm. Eileen apologises, but George knows Todd was just sizing him up. Eileen sends Mary and George home to watch Midsummer Murders and she'll join them later. And George looks crushed. When Eileen gets home, George has already left, clearly not a fan of Midsummer Murders. Mary blames Todd's questioning, but thinks it's sweet he's so protective of his Auntie Mary. (sighs) And then Eileen looks up at a spot on her ceiling. Mm. And that's as far as we get with that this week. (sighs) So they're fucking doing this. (laughs) They really are. They're fucking doing this. (laughs) They finally acknowledge that Mary is a woman who has needs. They finally find someone... You know, to pair her up with, we are very happy that they're finally, you know, giving Mary a romantic situation to be in. And what do they do? They throw Eileen into it. Because of course Eileen. (sighs) I guess there's something kind of uh, poetic about the fact that she's been involved in people who kill other people. And now she's involved in people who take care of those dead people. There's a kind of (sighs) arc there, I guess, if you squint and don't really pay attention to it too much. But, I mean, remember our moment of the week a few weeks ago? I do remember our moment of the week from a few weeks ago where George looked very much like he was apologetic to Mary and wanted Mary to be uh, to feel better about the whole situation and, and realise that he wasn't that kind of guy and that he was a decent chap after all. Right, and, and that he was attracted to her. But he was doing that just to get to Eileen? He didn't even know Eileen at that point. Is he so fickle that he was after Mary and then as soon as... Eileen comes back shows from up Thailand. and, you know, she's got a mouth on her like a sailor and I guess he's kind of into that. But if he was kind of into that, why was he into Mary? Mm-hmm. I don't know. It just pisses me off. I'm like, guys, come on. Can't you just give this to me, please? Are we really going to go through with Eileen having another relationship? Because she's had Phelan Ugh. and then she had Jan. Yes. And now she's got George. And in that time, Mary's had... Zero. A kind of half-relationship with her son. Nothing. And then nothing romantically. Zilch. What have we got against? What have we got against having... romantic relationship with that stupid fucking blanket. (laughs) Right. Than she's had with an actual human being. And it just... Just pisses... it, It... It really pisses me off. I mean, we really don't need 
this love triangle here at all. We don't need it. I don't think it's even a triangle, is it? Well, it's... It's unrequited as far as Mary's concerned. Well, you'd think that George still kind of maybe has feelings for her. Not the way he stormed out during Midsummer Murders. Well, you don't see him storm out. He just left. But if he had any kind of feelings, he'd surely linger about. I don't know. Wouldn't he? I don't know. The whole thing is just... It's disappointing. It's I'm, I'm, disappointing. I'm more disappointed than I am angry. <laughs> Tell that to your face. <laughs> Why? Does my face look angry? Yes. I don't, I don't really care. <laughs> this, this doesn't really mean anything to me. I just pretend. But and now you're doing the ASMR. Why are we doing but ASMR? don't tell anybody. Our next storyline today is Evelyn and Arthur. Oh, so another love triangle. I know. Back to back. Or, or love trapezoid, maybe? Because if we're including Arthur's wife. Oh, yeah, well. Oh, and. Quadrilateral, I think. And, and Roy. I'm so happy. This makes me happy. See? I knew this was going to make you happy. This makes me so happy. I think you might be reading too much into it. But we, uh, will, we, will, we will talk about it. We'll get there. Hmm. On Monday at the garage, Evelyn has brought lunch for Tyrone. She's off on a holly bob soon with Arthur. Ty who's isn't gonna take sure care of her? Evelyn will last the weekend, especially as it's obvious Arthur wants to go away for longer. Tyrone, is it though? Tyrone just is it Tyrone? Up again. Oh, Tyrone. Later, Evelyn's in Roy's roles. Roy has given her a bunch of maps, ones that he used when he was going away with Haley. They're all well worn. Roy calls those times away the best of his life, and that when he was away with Haley, it was like they were the only two people in the world. Aww. Evelyn knows. Uh, Evelyn now looks a little concerned about going away with Arthur now. We've been on long trips. Yes. Like 12 days away, driving. Mm-hmm. Thousands of miles. Yes, we didn't really have the romance of having paper maps or whatever, and rather had Timbot Four Thousand basically <laughs> tell us which way to go. And a lot of it was stay on the interstate for five hundred miles, kind of thing. Right, but, or turn onto this gravel road in Wyoming that leads to nowhere. Yes, and then pray for death. <laughs> but it was still romantic. The whole uh, adventure of it, absolutely. Yes, and, the and 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 you know, us picking our uh, our soundtrack and finding all the songs that include the word America or mm-hmm. USA or the state that we're in at that time. Yeah, going to all these things, losing you on the top of a mountain. That wasn't fun. <laughs> Deciding because we came to a, uh, an intersection to rather than turn left and continue on our way to I can't remember where it was we we're going Yellowstone. Uh-huh. Turn right and go to Devil's Tower instead. Right. That was great. Getting caught in the rain. The hail, I, I think, is what sticks in my mind. Those mm-hmm. haily stains battered the fuck out of a rental car. Yeah. I was kind of worried it was going to do some damage to it. My aunt giving me centrum silver for my birthday. Yep. <laughs> and your uncle who owns a trailer park charging us full rates for the overnight. Anyway... <laughs> Good to know people. Uh, <laughs> later, Evelyn has been drawing up an itinerary. 
There's no chance they can fit all this into a weekend, and so she's going to propose that they go away for longer. Ray thinks this is a capital notion. In comes Arthur, who fills Evelyn and Roy in on, on developments in another storyline. A ginger policeman has been shot. Oh no! Evelyn didn't see Craig as being a hero, and Roy takes precautions and locks, locks up the, the door. door. Says maybe we'll take some tea out to them if it all calms down. With the Zoom pub quiz on hold, because that's a thing, Evelyn brings up the subject of extending their holiday to a month, or two weeks, ten days, whatever, and she downplays it when she sees Arthur's reaction. Right, she, his she face just starts falling, <laughs> slowly. She knows nothing about him. Does he like porridge in the morning, or whatever it was, when it wasn't porridge? You don't eat breakfast. And Right. And wants to learn what better opportunity than being out on the open road. Arthur can't hide his discomfort and concocts a story about his dog and its warming tablet and he runs out leaving Evelyn dumbstruck. On Wednesday, Evelyn and Arthur are walking their dogs. She's still pissed to want to know why he ran away last night. He says he never knows where he is with her. First she was dead standoffish and now she wants to go hurtling around the country for a month. He wants to talk about it more before making decisions and they agree to meet later in the pub to do so. And she takes offence at the word hurtling because there's no way his caravan could hurtle anywhere. <laughs> She's great this week. She is. She's, She's great, great all, every all, week. All, yeah. She's the, pub, the only reason I watch this show. Yeah. <laughs> That's not true. Let's play a little bit. In the pub, Evelyn thinks Arthur was right. A month is too long. Gemma overhears and explains about perhaps the worst episode of Corey last year <laughs> with her own caravan escapades. It is no better hearing it for a second time. This is true. Arthur is so bored, he goes off to the loo. It's so good to have Gemma back in the pub, though, isn't it? I was Just sitting watching that thinking, is she going to start talking about this caravan holiday? <laughs> yes. and, and how much detail is she going to give? And it was far more than anybody could reasonably expect. When he's back, Evelyn suggests a couple of days, but his uh, visit to the lavvy has given him some thinking time, and now he wants to break up. Evelyn pretends to be okay about it, and thanks him for letting her know before she packed. He wants to explain, but she's not interested, and so she leaves. So Evelyn tracks down Dev... The trip's off, the relationship's off. She asks for having her job back, even if it is reduced hours. But Dave has hired Addy in the meantime. Even convinces him that his own son is a substandard choice because he doesn't clean up in that time with the vodka and all that sort of thing. And she's not wrong. And so he gives her her job back and is sorry, <coughs> is sorry about Arthur. Mm-hmm. Later, Evelyn gives the maps back to Roy, who is sad about how things worked out. Evelyn blames her abrasiveness and her temper. And Roy kind of pisses her off by agreeing with her. <laughs> Roy says he's been blessed with a thick skin Being on the defensive all the time must be exhausting He says She asks for this to be kept private between them And her reputation as battle axe in chief Needs to be protected On Friday in the morning Tyrone is curious to know what the deal is with Arthur now Arthur is dead to me Says Evelyn mm-hmm. Tyrone re- recommends listening uh, to him To see what he has to say for himself so later, Evelyn is in Roy's roles and Toya is there. And it seems to- Tyrone has told Toya about Evelyn and Arthur because Tyrone and Toya are such best buds that they talk about his gran and her love life, or whatever. Toya reveals that she saw Arthur at the hospital, so that's why they were talking. Yeah. Because Toya was at the hospital. Yes. And he was visiting the neurology department, and Evelyn is obviously and naturally concerned. So she calls up Arthur and they arrange to meet at the community garden and she explains that she knows about the hospital and he assumes, for some reason, that she knows everything and explains that he couldn't leave her while they went on holiday. Her? Her? Asks Evelyn. She thought he was the one that was ill. But no, it's his wife. Beryl. (laughs) Yes. 
Beryl. I wonder named how long, after a gemstone. I wonder how long they sat thinking of an old woman's name that could be married to Arthur. Arthur and... Beryl. Beryl. B-E-R-Y-L. A gemstone. Realising he said too much, Arthur decides to come clean. Brace yourself, Evelyn. His wife is the one who's ill. And so he explains about his not dead but might as well be wife. She had a massive stroke some time ago and it's left her severely brain damaged. They've moved her from Leeds to Weatherfield so she could get more specialised treatment in Weatherfield as opposed to Leeds, which is an actual city. She doesn't know him. Beryl, that is, not Evelyn. Mm -hmm. And is non-communicative. It's a lonely life, he says, and Evelyn sympathises. This is why he stood her up all that time ago. He did. He stood her up the first time they were supposed to meet. Right. And this is why he cut the holiday short. Of course it is, says Evelyn, and she's really understanding because mm-hmm. this is your wife and this is what you're supposed to do with your wife. Right. You get married, you take vows you, for you, sickness and in health. Absolutely. She says. It was the right thing to do. And he asks if she can ever forgive him. She says that she can't stand liars. He never thought he'd feel this way about someone else, but she reminds him, you know, that you made your vows with your wife and because of that, she can't continue the relationship. Right. Oh, and my iPad has just had a fit. <laughs> Beryl, so Evelyn you? goes in. <laughs> Beryl, if you're there, <laughs> control my iPad. <laughs> Evelyn goes into Roy's roles and kind of explains to Roy, who is sorry to hear it, but is glad that Arthur is well because he was worried that Arthur was going to be sick because he liked Arthur. Yes. And she asks what, what he's doing and he's making a veggie paella. And so she asks if she can help. And he says he would like that very much. No. Nina has been a very good influence on Roy, I think. In what way? Vegetarian paella. He was an eating vegetarian before Nina moved in. Oh, yes. This this has totally to do with Nina. Absolutely. Was that mentioned that this was Nina's recipe or idea? No, but... Nice. She's a vegetarian, so... So, post-paella, Roy thinks Evelyn was right and needs more chilli. Evelyn and Roy play Scrabble, something that Arthur was utter shite at. Yes. No Latin, she warns him. <laughs> no distracting me when I'm thinking, he warns her. So Evelyn assesses her life, her wee job, her dog, her family, her friends, and she decides that she's quite happy with her lot. Then Roy plays Moosejicks for 128 points. Yes. <laughs> because of course he did. Because I've, he's Roy. I've taken note of that word to try and get into my word with friends. <laughs> Moosejicks or Moosejicks? What Mystic. was it? It was something, it was a Russian... Yeah, the Russian... Something or other. Um, Cossacks. Oh. They're a specialised form of Cossacks, I believe. 128 points. This was the first word that was played. Yes. Which uses up his seven tiles, which gives him a 50-point bonus, I believe. Mm. You can only go over a double word at the start. So that leaves 74 points, which leaves 37 to get. 37. Well, you've got your... Z for a 10, your, your J's an 8 in Scrabble. It's a 10 in Words with Friends. And your K's a 5 and your M's a 4. Yeah, maybe. I doubt they would get that wrong. I don't know why I'm even discussing it. Neither do I. And that's the end of that. This is why we don't play Scrabble. I think we have a Scrabble board downstairs. We should pull it up. Yeah. It's easier just playing it on your, your phone. Yeah, I hate it? playing Words with Friends with you. Why? Because you're so obnoxious about it. By not obnoxious, do you mean good? I'm sorry. <laughs> it's not just being good. It's it's that you kind of gloat. 
I think you experience this much different <laughs> to our experience. I don't think I gloat at all. I, I don't. I don't talk to anybody about the games. Well, no, no, you only gloat with me because you are married to me. You don't see all of those other people in real life when you play. So no, you we, don't we, gloat. We chat though. Well, some of them. Chris, that one. <laughs> I don't know. It's it's a good thing I love you. <laughs> And we have other things we can do together besides play words with friends. Oh, maybe you should be get, get better at words with friends. <gasps> <laughs> oh, is that what you mean? Okay. <laughs> what did you think about this storyline this week then? I loved it. Yeah, why? I loved it because it brings Evelyn and Roy closer together. Even if they just stay just friends, they'll be best friends. And I love that. I love I love every scene when the two of them are together. I love the chemistry between the two of them. I love the banter. They're two of my most favorite characters in the show. I just, I would like an Evelyn and Roy show, please. I like that they frustrate each other and they test each other. But they that, also admire each other. doesn't uh, mean that they dislike each other. Right. I thought it was quite telling as well with, uh, with Arthur that what she feels like she's lost most out of that isn't a romantic relationship. It's the loss of a friend. Mm-hmm. You could have told me at the start and we could have still been friends, right. she said. Yeah. And I, I think that she meant that. Yeah, the way she reacted was, was spot on. Mm-hmm. It was. You know, part of it is a kind of um, protection of uh, displaying her own feelings and disappointment and stuff. So she pretends that she's fine with it and thanks for, t- for letting me know. And she's clearly not, but she's never going to let him know that she's really right. disappointed. But this is the, the time that she's let her guard down. And she's become prepared, and she's taken an awful lot of coaxing right. from an awful lot of people, right? To be prepared to uh, get involved with someone romantically, right, and be intimate with someone, right? You but, know. But the thing that she went on about at the end wasn't about the loss of that. It was just about, you know, we we could have been we could have been good friends, right? Yeah, and I think that's quite lovely. Absolutely, and that's what she's got with with Roy. With Roy. Is it going to go to more than that? Probably not. Oh, I hope. No, 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 no. It has to go. Just a wee bit. Let's remember, I, I, a cop caught them in a car together. And Woody. Mm-hmm. And, thought, and thought that she was, you know, giving him... Oral treats. Yes. <laughs> so... She took her dentures out first. It's... Oh. It's, it's, you know, it's been hinted at that... You know, in in amusing ways that they might become more than friends. The one thing that makes me think this is a possibility is that he mentioned this week how he is not an expert in matters of the heart. And mm-hmm. he said that before and he, 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 he says it quite regularly. Yes. And again, if we're, we're to play by the rules, if you don't say anything that doesn't mean nothing. Right. That's far too many negatives in there. But you know what I mean? You don't say anything if it doesn't then go on to lead to something it's a kind of Chekhov's gun kind of thing you don't right. say something that has no bearing to something right. that's going to happen down the line and you know the whole scene with the maps and everything and how she has said you know I've always wanted to see more of my own country which I thought was an interesting thing to say as as well um, you know and he talked about how much he loved doing that with Haley and how you really get to know someone and he's choosing to share these dog-eared, absolutely saturated with memories. Right. 
maps and books and, and travel lend them guides. to her. Right, that's that's not nothing. No, it's not nothing at all. You know, and share you know this these intimate details of his relationship with Haley, which he doesn't do very often with very many people. So, yeah, it just it. They are kind of the same person, aren't they? <laughs> In many ways. Uh, fundamentally, yeah, probably. Yeah. I think they express it very differently. But. Yes. Roy is less abrasive than Evelyn is. But they're both... But that only becomes a thing if he doesn't... If he isn't suppressing anger or disappointment right. or disgust or, or just choosing not to, to notice it. They, it's completely different. They both play their cards very carefully. Mm-hmm. React it very differently. Mm-hmm. They're both very intelligent. And probably the probably the even way is the healthiest way of dealing because you know where you stand. Right. First people now think that they can take a loan on Roy because he he's either dim or doesn't care. Right. And neither of those things are true, obviously. No, no absolutely not. Oh well, we'll see. I think they left it very much that you were meant to think that there's a possibility of something yeah, going here. There's a spark there, which mm-hmm. we already knew there was a spark there because there was a spark before Arthur showed up. Right. Do you think we've seen the last of Arthur? No. I think I think that is what's going to happen. Hmm. These bumps in the road where a relationship is off just before it becomes back on again happens all the time. Well, Beryl will have to die before Arthur and Evelyn get back together. Right. But it sounds like she's kind of, she's almost there. I thought it was unusual, though, that he mentioned that she's non-communicative and doesn't know who he is, but seems to know the nurse who brings her pudding. She's, she doesn't speak, but she still responds. Right. So, well, like, she, she looks happy, you know. We need with, to power through here a little bit. Uh, can't we just talk about Evelyn and Roy for the rest of the <laughs> No, we need to talk about Oliver. Oh. Stephen and Liana chatting at the hospital about their own wee sleeping beauty and how she's just finished giving his face a wash. Oliver, not Steve. Now, if there's something we all know about Oliver, is that he hates getting his face washed. Remember mm-hmm. that time when, mm-hmm. uh, on Monday, he hated getting his face wa- his face washed? Steve has bad news about Imran. Not one of the ten specialists have tried or willing to help with the case. Leanne observes that even more is now riding on Nick's meeting with uh, Wendy the Guardian. Talking of which, Nick is at Roy's Rolls with Gail, trying to sweeten her with cakes. Gail will not be sweetened, however, and insists again that Nick talks to Leanne about the doubts that he has about the hearing. He says Leanne is going to give us... He says Leanne isn't going to give up, so he has to play the supportive partner. Well, what about the cost? Financial and emotional, Gail asks. Plus, it prolongs that wee boy's suffering. She urges Nick to tell Wendy the Guardian how he feels. He says he can't do that to Leanne. She says this isn't about Leanne. This is about Oliver. Right. Yay. Yay. Somebody finally, finally said, said it. <laughs> it out loud what we've been saying for over a month. Nick is meeting with Wendy the Guardian at the hospital and Gail is there for some reason, sitting mm-hmm. in the background. She's there for moral support for Nick. Or to be nosy. And she's also had a vegan cake and Roy compliments her on getting a vegan cake. So this is absolutely a thing at Roy's Rolls now. Nick paints a happy sort of life that Oliver had and how good a mother Leanne is. Wendy the Guardian points out that the main question here is how potentially cruel it is to keep Oliver alive. And she asks if he thinks Oliver responds to any kind of stimuli. Nick says he does and that they shouldn't give up on the kid. 
Gail is flabbergasted. And when did the Guardian ask Gail for her opinion, despite not really being around Oliver for months on end, she says that she isn't sure, which angers Nick. He rightly points out that Gail hasn't been there and doesn't know, but he snaps when when did the Guardian thinks Gail's is a valid opinion. We're done, he shouts and he leaves. Don't think badly of him, says Gail. He knows not what he does. Later. Gail tells Nick that she was only answering truthfully, and Nick thinks Leanne is going to flip when she finds out, and of course Leanne walks into the corridor at this point and catches the end of the conversation and wonders why she's going to flip. He lies and says that he's got a parking ticket. How easily the lies come to Nick, don't they? That's like he doesn't even have to think about it. Yeah. Leanne falls for it and goes back to see Oliver. Gail tells Nick that Oliver is already gone and he and Leanne are too close to see it. Nick, though, admits that he can see it, but he tells Gail to back off, and then he kicks a chair as she leaves, and Leanne comes out all excited that Oliver moved. He must have heard the chair being kicked. Yes, it was loud enough for him to hear in the room. No, why did you kick that chair so hard, Nick? But Oliver's moved. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So now everyone is in the room with Howarth as they explain how Oliver moved at the loud noise of Nick kicking a chair in anger outside the room. Howarth is unimpressed, calling it a startle response and no more significant than shining a light in his eye and noticing that his pupils contract. Doesn't prove anything and isn't a side of consciousness. Typical. Knew you were going to say that, says Leanne. But it doesn't matter what Howarth says because Leanne has already made her mind up. He's conscious and he can hear. Hmm. And later, Leanne tells Nick that Howarth has it in for her and doesn't like her. And that's probably fair. Nick Uh-oh. thinks Howarth cares, but it can't be easy giving bad news. I don't think Howarth has it in for her and doesn't like her. I think it, I think she doesn't like her. I think Howarth... She would like her. I think Howarth has dealt with this sort of situation before and is very, very understanding and patient with her. This is not Howarth's and, first rodeo. I would yeah, agree. so I think Howarth neither likes nor dislikes Leanne because Leanne is not her patient. Oliver is. Leanne knows that Oliver can hear them, and Nick suggests keeping a diary of any signs of recognition with dates and times, and maybe a pattern will emerge. My hero, says Leanne, as Nick does his two-second smile fade thing. And that's as far as we get with Oliver's story this week. Does it feel like we're, we're no further forward, except that... I know. This is... this is Some more interviews have been done. This is this is kind of disappointing, because our, our uh, moment of the week last week, and kind of a cliffhanger, is... Gail seemingly convincing Nick that he needs to say something to Leanne. I don't think he was convinced at all, to be honest. But but yeah, she made this big impassioned speech about saying something. We waited for a weekend. We came back on Monday and Nick went, nah. <laughs> and that was it. And then Oliver responded to him kicking a chair. Mm-hmm. And Leanne said, see, we've been pussyfooting around him all this time. We should have been loud and obnoxious around right. him and not been quiet. Mm-hmm. That would have given his brain more things to react to, yep. I guess. Rather than Steve reading stories about, I don't know, was that a fire truck or something? Who cares? Something like that. And Leanne reading and Peter Pan. It was Peter Pan, right? Yeah. With the dead children? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so I think we've kind of... We've <laughs> Let's stumble on, shall we? It's, 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 you know, it can't be easy for these poor actors to be doing this. And, like, um, what's his name? What's Steve's real name? Simon Gregson. Yeah. Simon Gregson just two years ago 
lost a child because his wife was pregnant with twins and one of the twins wasn't viable. So this has got to be really psychologically difficult. Yeah, I guess. But I think actors being actors kind of dip into those emotions and use them, don't they? Well, yeah, but for it to drag on this long. Oh, yeah, that point of view, yeah. You know, it's one thing to have one of these storylines and be really professional about it, but the more it makes you think about experience, the more you're dipping into your own experiences about it, especially one fairly recent, Mm -hmm. especially when the world is the way it is right now. I was sure you were going to say the word topsy-turvy there. Topsy-turvy is far too pleasant a word for the shithole that is 2020. You clearly haven't read Roger Hargreaves' Mr. Topsy-turvy then. (laughs) Boy, are you in for a shock. That takes a turn, I'll tell you. Does it go all (laughs) topsy-turvy? A little bit. (laughs) Do you know I had every single one of those Mr. Man books? Every single one of them. (laughs) That's that's how I learned to read. My mum would read them out to me. Did you get the little uh, Miss that, books oh, as well? I'm or? still talking about my Mr. Man books. So <laughs> let me get through this reminisce and then we can talk about uh, how sexist my approach to Roger Hargreaves' output was. So she would read the story to me mm-hmm. and it got to a point where I could read the story to her. to her as she was trying to tell me and she became convinced rightly that I was reading upside down as a child on the book. Uh-huh. Because she thought at first that she that um, I could see the the picture because uh-huh. every page had a picture and a page of text. I could see the picture, knew what the the text was, mm-hmm. so I just memorised it. Yeah. But then she covered up. I don't know why she wanted to trick me, but she, <laughs> I'm like four, but she covers up the picture, and but I still can say what happened on that page because I was reading the words upside down. Or because you memorised it because you couldn't read it upside down when it was covered. No. You have a page of text and you have the picture. And it was a picture that was covered up so I could still see the text. Yeah, but you still know what's going to happen next in the book if you've had it read to you a million times. I'm, I'm having to explain far more about this than I <laughs> anticipated when I went down this line. She would just open up a book at random. Oh, okay. So it wasn't like Cover during the story. No. Okay. So you didn't have the Little Miss books. No, I didn't. Very sexist. Uh, and, well, I don't think they were out Yes, when they, I was a wee boy. Well, they were out when I was a wee girl, so I would imagine they would be. Well, there's an age difference. but of Three years? That's, that's long enough. To write these books, that's more than you could write these books twice in three years. That's true. I remember the first time I wrote down my name. Uh-huh. And I showed my mum, all proud that I'd written my name in pencil on this bit of paper. And she looked at it and she said, there's two O's in broom. <laughs> Our next that sounds line. very much like your mother. Our next May she rest in peace. Today is another person that's dead. <laughs> it's been a while. It has been a while. She's she'll be given Thatcher what she thinks about. I'll tell you that. Mm. She was very helpful with our tomatoes this year. Oh yeah, I'd, yeah. No. Our next storyline today is Tim's fucking dad. On Monday, Imran has presented Alia with his latest estimate of the legal fees and Alia has no idea how they're going to afford it. And Imran suggests selling some assets. Gary happens to be there and does his sales pitch, but Alia is worried about where Yasmin is going to live when she gets out and what she's going to do. Gary then explains the rent and back option and then mumbles his way quickly and quietly through his small print. 
Later, Alia has done a credit check on Yasmin, which Imran is sure is illegal. Seems Yasmin's credit is so shite and she's missed so many loan payments that she's not eligible for a loan. This has Tim's dad written all over it, says Alia, and Imran calls it fraud. This might be the break that they've been looking for. <sighs> so they go off to see Yasmin in jail and explain about the credit score and the loans and all that stuff, and Tim's dad has been forging her signature on loan applications. It's fraud, but Yasmin doesn't seem pleased. There's a good chance, she says, that she signed those applications herself. And Alia is in disbelief. How could her grand be so... Stupid? says Yasmin, and she explains that Tim's dad made her think that she couldn't look after her own money, so he took control, and it made it easier just to let him get on with it, and she knows that she signed something, but she doesn't know what. Alia says that she might need to sell the house, but Yasmin can't, because half of it belongs to Tim's dad, and he's never going to agree to sell. Mm. On Wednesday, Alia has tried the bank again, but still can't get a loan. She doesn't understand where the money has gone, and Ryan thinks it's best not to ask. That's probably quite sensible from Ryan there. Imran thinks Tim's dad might be desperate to sell as Yasmin if all the money is gone. And Alia, though, decides to speak with... David. Hmm. So later, Alia's back and has Roxy's number. Someone is coming round this afternoon to figure out how much the house is worth. Then in comes Tim's dad, who winds him up a bit. Alia refuses to rise to the bait, and she has an idea to let the estate agent people in without Tim's dad's finding out. And do you know what her idea is? To sneak out at lunchtime and steal his keys. Right. Mm. What a great idea. So Alia tells Tim's dad that the place is quiet, so she's taking an early lunch. He doesn't give a fuck one way or the other, but when his back is turned, she goes through his jacket pocket on the uh, on the stand and whips out the keys. <laughs> but not like that. Later, Tim's dad is serving a customer when he gets an intruder alert on his phone. Intruder alert. Intruder, intruder alert. alert. Intruder alert. Danger. Hey. Danger, Will Robinson. Hey, Timbo. Danger. Hey. Danger. Timbo. Danger. Intruder alert. Tim No. Oh well. In the house, Alia's on the phone to the state agent who hasn't turned up. Then Tim's dad starts battering at the door. I am Timbot 4000 and this is an intruder alert. Too little too late. Timbot, we're already dead. You had your chance and you blew it. Think about what you've done. She lets him in and he wants to know what she's doing. Alia explains that she's looking to get... So (sighs) dumb. I've been planning that for days. I mean, Timbot, sort yourself out. Ali explains that she's looking to get a valuation on the house. They'll need to put the house on the market sooner or later when he and Yasmin split up officially, and Tim's dad looks like half the money would be quite useful right now. But then he starts to make demands, like the expense of putting his magic gear in storage. Burn it. <laughs> Take it out into the garden and burn it. Burn it. And how we'd have to kit out a new flat, and how we always loved this sofa. Alia finally twigs that he has no intention of selling. It's It, it, it has just the right amount of give. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> she tells him that she knows about the loans on the... What's, what's that stain and why won't it come out? She tells him she knows about that... Don't use a black light in Yasmin's house. <laughs> it's like they've been filming Ghostbusters in there. She tells him that she knows about the loans in the house. Tim's dad is unmoved. Yasmin signed all the paperwork. His entire family hates him, points out Alia, but he isn't moving. He isn't a quitter. He isn't the criminal, and he tells her to close the door on her way out. She goes home and is in a really bad mood with her sofa, probably because it's not as good as Tim's dad's, but it is cleaner. In comes Imran, who says that Tim's dad has covered his tracks as far as financial coercion is concerned. Imran. The two of them... She also has a relationship herself with... Oh, no, it's Ryan, okay. 
Anya thinks this means Yasmin has nothing to look forward to. We've seen Toya and Imran make out on that couch. Is why I went with that route as opposed to Alia and Ryan. You don't need to explain that. <laughs> Maybe she's better off inside. After all, she'll be living hand to mouth for years if she gets out. Back at Speedal, Alia and Ryan are watching Tim's dad flirt with a young female customer. Alia wonders if he has a secret family stashed away somewhere, and Ryan wouldn't be surprised what happened with Robert and that. Two mentions in two weeks for dead, unburied Robert. <laughs> She's sure that there must be a paper trail for the loans. That the money can't have just vanished. As Tim's dad continues to flirt, Alia realises he's lining up his next victim. Fancy hotels, meals, flowers, just mm. like he did with Yasmin, Elaine and Tess. She decides to follow him to the money, and for some reason, she calls Ryan a genius. And during that scene, someone from another storyline is sitting there with her brother. Not on the Wednesday, isn't That's on the Friday. Okay, because I think that's important. I think her watching Alia talk about sneaking out and spying on Tim's dad is important. But she didn't see that. She did. Not on Wednesday, she didn't. On Friday, Tim's dad's getting to... Tim's dad's trying to get Alia to crack a smile. Oh, give us a smile. It's not that oh, bad. Oh, God, fuck off. She tells him to go fuck himself. They give him, like, the worst misogynist stuff to say. Then he gets a call from a woman and is clearly being uh, overly loud to make sure that Alia hears it. Alia's visiting Yasmin in jail and asks how she ended up getting hooked up with Tim's dad in the first place. And she describes an easygoing man who liked to treat her well and was funny and uh, liked and who was caring in the beginning, unlike Sharif. Alia explains that she has was a macho man <laughs> to believe that Tim's dad is setting another woman up. Yasmin is furious that Tim's fucking dad might be seeing someone else before the trial is even over and begs Alia to warn this poor woman off. I had no idea Sharif was one of the village people. Yasmin has begged Alia to stay the fuck away from Tim's dad. Yes. And now she wants her to get involved. Right, well, because she's concerned about this other woman. At work, Tim's dad's all dressed up to the nines in his new cobber. Ryan advises him to stay away from naked flames, what with that nylon shirt. <laughs> Tim's dad insists that costs a fortune... And Alia points out that this is another expense that our but grand is But doesn't deny that it's not. <laughs> It'll go up in Tim's dad's being obvious in arranging his new date. Alia decides to follow him. Ryan offers to come along, but Alia knows that he'd be worse than useless, so she goes on her own. And instead... Ugh, I kind of had to look away that this was so rubbish. Alia phones Ryan as she sneaks around on the street in broad daylight after Tim's dad and she's kind of hunkered over as she crosses right. the street. She looks like, so suspicious. She's hunkered over and crossing the street while he is also still in the street <laughs> right. and can see her out of his peripheral vision. And because Tim's dad's closer to us and we can hear Alia, we, our brains think that Tim's, Tim's dad, dad can also, can hear, also Alia. hear Alia. Right. It's so bad. It's so bad. <laughs> Alia. So bad. Tim's dad is aware of her the as he grabs worst. flowers from Dev's and then heads into the bistro. Oh, and then he gets different flowers from Dev's. And mm. like, Ali is telling Ryan all of this. For no reason. <laughs> right, he's standing at the side of the street. He's scratching his arse now. He's crossing the street. Ryan, I don't think, is even listening to this. Right, because Ryan is trying to hold down Speed Doll <laughs> all by himself. Right. So Alia storms in after him to accuse Tim's dad of something, but it turns out he doesn't have a hot date after all. He's with an old lady with a Zimmer frame called Doris, someone who he met at the hospital where Tim's dad is a DJ, she says. 
All your tries to call it again a Zimmer frame. Zimmer frame, yeah. We call it a Walker. Alia tries to explain, well, our score's more in Scrabble. Alia tries to explain about Yasmin, but it sounds stupid, so she just shuts up and wanders away. Yeah, I'm, my name's Alia, and my gran, and she's like, fine with saying this, I'll just cut my losses and leave. And, 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 and this is the, the old scene. lady, and the old lady makes a big deal about how Tim's dad has has helped her out. With money and, and doing chores around the house and right. stuff. And how he's a saint. Which just made me want to hurl. So later the police come into Speeddal's kitchen and Alia's worried that something that's happened to her grand. But it turns out that Tim's dad has accused her of harassment and Doris has backed him up. The copper tells her to stay away from Tim's dad. You're just lucky we're not going to press any charges here. Because they know that Tim's dad is fucking awful <laughs> and keeps making these accusations about... Tim's dad doesn't seem to understand that there's a paper trail here of him accusing people of harassment and the police going out and finding out that the harassment didn't actually happen. There's a, you know, this is this is a paper trail that shows the police that Tim's dad is not credible and is a nuisance and that they should hate him. And he's a shit magician. Yes. Tim's dad meets up with a real totty, Christine. At a hotel. It had to be Christine, didn't it? She's curious why Alia would follow him, and he explains that she's his ex-wife's deranged granddaughter. And they're both crazy as shit. Blah, blah, blah. Shampers blah, blah. all round, says Tim's dad. And he uses the same lines on her that he's used on Yasmin in the past. What's the point in having oh. money if you can't live a little? Oh. You're worth it. Oh. That's as far as we get this week. Yes. Now, when, when he's talking to Christine... You know, about the the fact that he had to, you know, do a little switcheroo and meet her a little bit later than expected. He says to her that a little bird tipped him off. I think it was Debbie. Yeah. Why would Debbie help Tim's dad? I don't know. Well, we'll get to our suspicions about Debbie in a Right, because bit. we have more suspicions about Debbie than just this. Right, but this is something that we're going to stick to that little yeah, we're board s- that we yeah. bought last week. Remember, we went to Michael's, we went to Michael's, we bought a Wrap some board. red thread around it. And Piece of wool. Yes. I'm going to connect it up. Red thread. We're not, uh, uh, yeah, I think that's the one thing that we take away from that storyline right. that, that I didn't mention. But Yeah, because Debbie seems far too interested in her and Alia's conversation with Ryan about this, which also happens later, and Alia thinks that she's just ready to order. Right. <laughs> Our next storyline today is Sean Puff Daddy. On uh, Wednesday, big, big, big Daddy Sean. Dylan is wearing a Gamers Forever's T-shirt and is bored out of his gourd. And Sean is out of ideas, not just good ideas, ideas in general. The only thing he can think of doing is sewing up a fabulous pair of undercrackers for him. And going shopping. Todd suggests that they kick a ball around the red wreck and Dylan is keen, so that's what they're going to do, despite Sean never having kicked a ball in his life. Oh, I'm sure he's kicked many balls. (laughs) Later when they get, well, later when they get back, Sean needs to apply frozen peas to his foot. It seems he was too good at saving Dylan's shot. And Todd thinks Dylan is quite the player. Sean is made up and promises a slap-up dinner to celebrate. Dylan goes off to call his mum, and Sean expresses his wishes to Todd that he was more of a dad-type dad, and for once, Todd isn't a prick. Yes. 
He's like, you mean like my dad who took off. <laughs> so Dylan comes back and he couldn't get his mom, so he called his girlfriend who has just dumped him. She fancies Aww. someone else. And Aww. Sean is, in, is sympathetic. Dylan really liked her. Well, if you liked her, maybe stop wearing Game of Thrones shirts. <laughs> Sean talks about his own experiences and sometimes it's for the best. She wasn't the right one and now he's closer to finding out who the right one is. Just don't get anyone knocked up while you're looking. Thanks, Dad, says Dylan, who seems quite pleased. Yeah, well, he also says, like, vom <laughs> about getting somebody knocked up. Because he is still, what, 11? 12? Oh, yeah, so young. Yeah. On Friday, Dave was playing soccer with Addy under the viaduct. Which we've never seen before. No. So they chat with Sean and Dylan, and Dylan goes off with Addy to the Red Wreck for a kickabout. So it seems that Addy's made friends with Dylan, who's a great footballer. Sean is embarrassing when he mistakes Billy Eilish for some Olympian that I wasn't really paying attention, so... Right. Some female mm-hmm. uh, Olympian. Who won gold medals when she was mm-hmm. 13, and yeah. Sean makes kind of funny noises, and Dylan goes, oh, that's right, you're gay, aren't you? <laughs> that's kind of what happened, isn't it? Yeah. What's the point of this? I don't know. <laughs> what is the point of this? I don't this know. This is two weeks now we've had Sean and Dylan and I'm not sure what what we're getting out of this. That Sean's realising that he wants to be a good dad or something. Right. Is that what it is? Yes. Are we setting this up that Dylan's going to become a permanent member of... I believe Dylan is going to be a permanent member of Because there's problems with his mum and her partner and... Yes. So now Sean's going to want to be the dad and right. now Dylan's going to live with his gay dad and it's going to be my two dads, but kind of right. not as funny. Right, because Todd, be Todd will be the other dad. I'm only. still keeping my fingers crossed that Greg Evigan's going to turn up and he'll be the second dad. He was my favourite dad and my two dads. Greg Evigan, he had a beard. You, you didn't like um, the other guy? The neurotic was guy? Was, wasn't he? Yeah, I didn't like the neurotic guy. Yeah, I didn't like the neurotic guy. <laughs> You liked the cool dad, not the neurotic dad with all the rules. I liked the dad that reminded me most of myself. <laughs> well, they weren't gay though, were they? No, they weren't. That was the that was the premise that everybody thought they were gay because remember back then homophobia was hilarious. So that was the writer's room filled with smoke that somebody <laughs> realised why don't we have a show with two dads? But here's the kicker: neither of them are gay. Yes. Until and everybody will ensue for assumes, three or four seasons. Everybody assumes they're gay and that's where the comedy comes in. I might be saying something I'm going to regret, but I loved my two dads when I was growing up. I liked it too. That was funny. Because you know when you're, when you're little you know you, when you're little and straight, you don't notice the homophobia. I think we're halfway through now, <laughs> and this is our penultimate storyline. That I've called Roxy Music. <laughs> they were just inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame were last really? year. Roxy Music, when, well. and we were we were there. Remember, they were one of the um, not they were one of the inductees along with uh the Zombies and and Radiohead, and one woman. Roxy Music, that's a strange choice. <sighs> Brian Ferry. They're all strange choices because so so many male groups. Zombies you can see and Radiohead oh, you can see. Yes. It, it, was it Janet Jackson? Who I was? I can't remember. I think it was Janet Jackson. On Friday, Kev offers to go to a meeting with Abby, but Abby just wants to go on her own. Then Debbie pipes up that she wants to go too. She doesn't have anything else to do today. 
but Abby's still happy to go herself. Right, yeah. What part of I want to go alone? Don't you understand, Debbie? She doesn't want Kev to go with her. She doesn't want you to go with her. And hint, she doesn't like you, Debbie. So Debbie and, Ge- Debbie and Kev, <laughs> Debbie and Kev, that's not even a spoonerism. No. They've been Kebby and Dev, and Dev exists. Debbie and Kev. They get takeaway from Speed Doll, and this is what happens that you're talking about. Right. That we see them sitting in Speed yeah, Doll. Yeah, they were supposed to eat there, but then Debbie decides abruptly to just get takeout because she needs to hurry home and call Tim's dad and warn him. Because initially they were going to eat there, and, and Abby says to her, oh, I thought you guys were going to eat there. And she's like, no, we decided to get takeaway so we could get something for you too. But mm. then she does rush up the stairs. Yes, she does. Mm-hmm. Yes. Even though she said she had nothing to do today. She disappears upstairs and she has no work to do and will lounge out in front of Judge Rinder, whatever that is. Hmm. Abby is curious what Debbie's business is all about, why she's here and why she has a big house in Turkey that she refuses to live in. Kev is just glad that his sister is there to help out with Jack and says that he's happy for her to stay as long as she likes. And Abby's like, well, of course it's your house. Whatever. Yeah, fair enough. It's just weird, is all. It's weird that now, in light of the speed dial thing, now is the time that Abby realises that this is a little bit weird. Uh, I, and think she already, I think she already thought it was weird. Later, Jack is having a rave upstairs. <laughs> but Cur- it's courtesy of Ben Price, Price and his Walkman. <laughs> Abby shouts at them to shut up and Kev finds it hilarious that the noisy house Abby mentioned earlier is pretty much down to her. Kev tells Debbie everything that Abby said. Debbie looks up from her laptop. Her business venture has taken longer than she thought. So she's here for the duration. So, we didn't touch at all on Natasha and the 20 grand this week. But no. Debbie is looking more and more like she's Roxy material. Yeah. She even looks like a Roxy. Well, she looks like the woman from Roxette. Yeah. I wonder if that's what it's about. Because mm. it's... They try. They play on the Annie Lennox thing to kind of distract you from the fact that she also looks like the woman from Roxette. She looks like every eighties female rocker. She even kind of looks like that mysterious woman who who disappeared in Belgium in the eighties. So I can kind of understand why, as a property developer, which is what her trade is in right. Turkey, why she would be involved in the the Ray Weinstein. Property thing. development. What hmm. I don't understand is what she would have to do with protecting Tim's, Tim's dad. dad from Alia. Is it because Tim's dad's already agreed to sell up and she wants to protect that sale? Well, he couldn't legally sell up without also getting Yasmin's. No, and this is something that is uh, kind of cropped up in my, or skipped over earlier is that Yasmin can sell her half of it. Right. That Tim's dad would have to buy her out. Right. Which has it, not happened. Which hasn't been presented as an option here. Right. Unless at some point Yasmin signed the whole house over to him and doesn't know it. Right. Which I think It's possible. We would have It's possible. Yeah. She doesn't know what she signed. Right. And it has And he, he seems very keen or and very sure that it's his house. Right, yeah, and he's, you know, the the way he's just like, just shut the door on your way out. 
and the whole six grand thing. Remember when I was carrying six grand around and I Five thought grand, that yeah. was for pros- for sex workers? Mm-hmm. And then it turned out not to be for sex workers? Well, we, we don't know what it was for. Right, yeah, but it... Because remember, I was thinking that he was the one who beat up Nikki. Right. And so... There doesn't seem to be any connection there. No. Or none that we know of yet. No. And no Nikki is off it. the show. She's done. So why would Debbie... Because I think you're right. Why would Debbie be so keen to stop Alia from disturbing or discovering that Tim's dad has seen Christine? Who's Christine? Because Christine was very... Sus- wanted to know more about who this Alia was and it's suspicious mm-hmm. that... She seemed a little suspicious that um, he was getting followed by her. Well, because it's his ex's granddaughter and everything. I don't. Yeah, she was too interested. She was more interested than that. And she didn't seem all that keen when he went to the bar. Is she involved with Debbie and Ray Weinstein as well? Is, is Christine there to, to, to coax Tim's dad into selling up? Or is, or is Debbie, you know, giving Tim's dad... Uh, you know, is help is she helping Tim's dad just to butter him up into selling Speed Doll and the house? The natural progression is that if Debbie, that that Debbie wanting Tim's dad to meet up with Christine, unhampered, suggests that Christine has something to do with this as well. I don't know. Anyway. Anyway. Shall we move on to our final storyline today? Because we're we have about, so many pieces of red thread going all over. It's the, building. It's, it's building up, isn't it? I kind of wish that we had actually bought a corkboard now. I'm intrigued. I I've think taken over our whiteboard. Oh my god! <laughs> it's been saying August since last August, right? And now it's November. That's everything that I have to do. That's podcast related in the month of November. I don't see anything for common language up there yet. Yep, common language is there twice. Is it? Mm-hmm. Where? On Tuesday the 3rd and oh. Tuesday the 17th. So I have Thursdays off apart from the last Thursday when I have to do the Spongebob Patreon. Mm-hmm. I have every second Tuesday off. And other than that, <laughs> I we have really, every day. We really need to start monetizing the podcast a little bit better. How many t-shirts have we sold? Uh, four, I think. Well, it's third quarter. One of you. Christmas is coming. (laughs) Buy your friends and family a Timbot 4000 t-shirt. Right. If it wasn't so cold, I would be wearing my not doesn't work at the factory t-shirt. For the Spongebob Patreon, every time we get a new Patreon, an existing Patreon leaves. (laughs) Our last storyline today is the dark shite. I don't know why I did that. It's It's a... it's supposed to be a play of the dark, dark night. night, yeah. But who's the dark night in this? I have no idea. Craig. <laughs> sure. I mean, he's the he's the hero here. <laughs> On Monday, <laughs> as Helen scratches the air with her with her quote making fingers. On Monday, Johnny is up and about, nice and early, trying to sneak the bed sheets into the washing without Jenny noticing. This means one of two things have happened. Actually, probably just one, because Jenny hasn't been showering for the last 45 minutes. <laughs> he claims he spilled coffee. Hmm. 
Oops, maybe it is too. In comes Scott <laughs> and Jenny tears on a strip saying a knock would be nice because this is where we live. And when she leaves, Scott asks if John is ready, but he's not. He's had a, tre- a stress-related MS attack. You're driving, you're not performing river dance, says Scott. But Johnny is adamant that he's not in a reliable state. Scott doesn't give a fuck. He really doesn't. He really, he, he still doesn't believe Johnny's whole MS thing. No. And he's still determined to pull an old MS sufferer into a pointless caper. Later, Johnny is breaking the pub's one-way system when he decides to walk through the front of the bar where Jenny is working on his phone, announcing that he's on his way. When she obviously asks where he's going, he says he has an appointment but won't say any more about it. The quiz is ready for later on the laptop in case he doesn't get back in time, and he leaves. Gemma comes up from the cellar from killing a spider and notices something's afoot with Jenny and Johnny. At the bistro, PC Tinker is trying to arrange a sort of date, but not really with Faye, who agrees to go into town so she can buy her proper Canadian boyfriend a birthday gift. And this pisses all over PC Tinker's chips. In comes Ray Weinstein, who flusters PC Tinker and then asks Faye to be hostess tonight and offers to pay her double. She agrees, and he tells her to dress up. PC Tinker offers to sit at the bar and make sure that there's no funny business with Ray. He says he's her own personal bodyguard, and so they talk and laugh about the bodyguard with Kevin Costner and Whitney Houston. Yes, and how I will always love you. Back at the pub. <laughs> Dolly Parton made a lot of money with that song Jane when is, Whitney Houston sang it. Jane is going through papers in the trash. She's looking for evidence to explain Johnny's behaviour. She explains her concerns to Gemma, who thinks that he must be having another affair. <laughs> it's either that or something to do with his MS, Jenny thinks. He hasn't been the same since France, like Japanese people. <laughs> Scott. What? Well, it's a thing, especially in Paris, because uh, Japan is such a, a, a such a respectful society. Right. Um, when Japanese people go to Paris on vacation they find that the abruptness and rudeness of Parisians is so overwhelming that some of them are end up hospitalised because of it. Is this real? It's a thing. It was on QI, so it must be true. <laughs> How do they do in New York? Now, Paris is worse than New York. Is it? it? Yeah, much, much worse. Wow. And they call us uncultured swine. Well, that's a spectrum, really, isn't it? <laughs> Scott and Johnny are hiding in the shadows when Scott reveals he has a shooter. This stresses Johnny out to fuck and changes everything. This isn't who Johnny is anymore and he refuses to bring this shame on his family. Where are all these guns coming from? <laughs> Scott still doesn't give a fuck and tells Johnny to get in the car, but Johnny's legs buckle beneath him. Scott isn't falling for it, but Johnny insists that his legs are in spasm and he needs his medication. Scott calls him pathetic, which he surely has known for months. I mean, seriously, what what exactly did they expect from Johnny? So he points a gun at Johnny... And it looks like he beats him up with the gun a little bit, As too. Johnny promises to help Scott get his money. Scott doesn't need Johnny's help and then pistol whips him and breaks his phone. Aye, aye, aye. Later, Gary finds Johnny in a bit of a state, but Johnny insists he's fine and staggers away, but he's pulling himself up by the kind of the frame of right, yeah. the builder's yard or something like that. You'd, you'd think that Gary was would would have uh, been the one to uh, be the... the, the the ginger crusader in this. Right. Gary should have picked Johnny up, put his arm around him and right. said, you ever thought about selling up the rovers? <laughs> you, can, you can get a rent back. In the bistro, the poker game is between Ray Weinstein and a guy who looks kind of like Johnny Vegas. The stakes are high. I raise you two grand. I raise you back three grand. Ray calls and his and, three aces... And be- throw the tart in with it. <laughs> and it's like, Ray's not that kind of... <laughs> Ray calls and his three aces beat Johnny Vegas' two pair, queens over jacks. 
then Scott, wearing a mask from The Purge and sounding very much like Scott from The B&B, bursts in. <laughs> Everyone stay cool, this is a robbery. Any of you fucking pricks move and I'm going to execute every, every motherfucking, motherfucking last one of you. you. Can I just say in the interest of fair use that Dick Dale's interpretation of an original Egyptian and Greek folk song is amongst the most synonymous with the work of Quentin Tarantino, along with Little Green Bag, Stuck in the Middle, and Battle Without Honour or Humanity. It was also used in a, 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 Wii, a Wii game in the, when Wii first came out, the one with the rabbit things, the freaky rabbit things. So Johnny, <laughs> so Johnny has stumbled his way to the payphone on the street and calls the police, reporting an armed robberies in progress at the bistro. Back inside, Pumpkin, or is it Honey Bunny, is ordering <laughs> Ray to put money in the bag. It doesn't look like this is the first time Ray has had a gun pointed in his face, and he remains calm, warning Pumpkin that he won't get away with this. He has no idea who he's dealing with. Then Faye begs Ray to comply, and so he does, as does Johnny Vegas eventually. Outside. PC Tinker's on patrol. Fixing right, his he- I thought he was supposed to be off work so that he could go and be the bodyguard. Right. Why is he still dressed like a policeman? Fixing his hair in the community centre window and trying to sing. <laughs> when he gets a call over his radio that there's an armed robbery in progress at the bistro, armed units are ten minutes away. PC Tinker announces himself over the radio and tells them that he's going in, ignoring instructions to do no such thing. According right. to the bill, they give their numbers, not their names over the radio, so he would say Sarah Oscar, 32. Right. Rather than saying, this is PC Tinker. This is PC Tinker. Because <laughs> they're like, who the fuck's PC Tinker? <laughs> Beth's back. Yay! And she's pulling a late one at the Knicker factory, but not like that. She explains to Kirk that Craigie has new boxers and reckons that he has an eye on someone. Kirk thinks it's high time that he got himself a girlfriend. Meantime, <sighs> PC Tinker has sneaked into the bistro. See, no girlfriend for the longest time. He's not a heterosexual. Pumpkin is collecting phones now. He's going to take Faye on his way out as collateral and he warns Ray and Johnny Vegas not to call the cops until at least ten minutes have passed after he's left. Ray offers himself as tribute for Faye as PC Tinker gets his, Which big, is stick, weird. Gets his big stick ready and bursts in. But not like that. Pumpkin turns, on his, turns his gun on PC Tinker and threatens to shoot. PC Tinker tells him to put the gun down and let Faye go. And then we hear sirens and PC Tinker says, Armed backup is on the way. There's no way out. Craig extends his big stick and Pumpkin shoots him in the shoulder and then makes a run for it. Craig's level of adeptness knows no bounds. Johnny's made it home. Back How to the many rovers. people are going to get shot in that bistro before they just shut it down? <laughs> Jenny walks in, or stabbed. Jenny walks in and notices... Where are all these guns coming from? <laughs> Jenny walks in and notices his head is bleeding. He says he took a fall and needs to lie down. Jenny needs him to start talking now. Just what the fuck is going on? He admits to not being himself recently. He's not the man that she thinks he is. He's weak, pathetic, and a bad man to have as a getaway driver. <laughs> Jenny's like, Jenny thinks she knows what it is. It's his MS. Johnny lets her continue to believe it while looking like the shiftiest man on the planet. She calls him brave and strong and she loves him, and Johnny clutches his collar. Now, PC Tinker has been loaded into an ambulance and is quoting the bodyguard to Faye. She's thrilled that he kept her alive and she'll follow him to the hospital. He's thinking that he's in there now. 
Fuck Noah. When did Noah ever save her life, and what's a fucking Canada anyway? He pretends to lose consciousness to amp up the sympathy, and the, am- the ambulance drives off with Faye shouting his name. This is just perfect, Craig thinks. It's really not. Later, John has got up to help Jenny with the quiz when Beth comes in looking for Kirk, who's just come out from a pish at the gents. It's Craig, he's been shot, he's in surgery now, and she and Kirk rush out as Johnny grabs his collar yet again. Mm-hmm. At the hospital, Kirk is just glad that Craig had new boxers. Beth wonders why he was there on his own with new boxers and no backup. Faye says he was there to keep her safe and he saved a life. Did he though? Not really. Beth says Craig's probably going to be fine and will be proud that he saved her and he'll do it again. Faye is scared though and so is Beth. Why Faye's scared? The Zoom pub quiz is carrying on regardless. she, She still doesn't want him to die even though she's not interested in him sexually. The Zoom pub quiz is carrying on regardless when Johnny gets a call and has to leave. He needs some fresh air. Jenny's not having this, shuts the laptop, kills the quiz and follows. Which pisses Evelyn off in another storyline. In the gunnel, the gunnel that absolutely isn't teeming with armed police looking for an armed robber who's just <laughs> shot a policeman, Scott knows that Johnny ratted him out. Johnny points out that he shot a policeman, although to be fair, Johnny ratted him out before that happened. Right. Jenny, meanwhile, is running off in a different part of the gunnel looking and shouting for Johnny. Johnny tells Scott that no one was supposed to get hurt, and Scott thinks the only reason that happened is because Johnny called the cops. Scott says if the cop dies, this is all on Johnny. Not on the person who actually shot the cop. Right. Aye, aye, aye. So on Wednesday, Johnny's up early, phoning the hospital to check on PC Tinker's condition. He's stable but horny. The hospital want to know who the fuck Johnny is, and he hangs up just as Jenny comes in, keen to know if he's made an appointment with his doctor. Right. Over at Tim and Sally's, Faye's phoned the hospital. Craig's doing well, and she's off to see him later. She can't work out if what he did was brave or stupid. Tim doesn't care stupid. and takes her out for lunch. She could eat a scabby horse, he says. And on their way to the car... That is no way to talk about our dear departed... Tiny. Tiny. Is he dead? I don't know, but he's not in the show anymore. Nobody's feeding him. No. <laughs> Faye lets Johnny know Craig's condition, which cheers him up. Scott, though, has been watching... Interesting to note that less than 24 hours after an armed robbery in the area, during which a police officer, well, Craig, was shot, the presence of yellow tape and investigating officers are noticeable by their absence. Scott comes through the back... And that Scott hasn't just taken off completely. (laughs) He's like... Why is he still hanging out? 50 feet away from the scene of the crime. Right. Scott comes through the back of the rovers to see Johnny. What's the fucking game here, eh? Asking all those questions about the cop and looking all guilty. He tells Johnny to sort his head out and he blames Johnny for everything. And if he gets sent down, he's taking Johnny with him this time. How? What's Johnny done apart from collapse outside a getaway car? Oh, he's going to tell him that he's the one who ran over the security guard 40 years ago. And so he'll get taken down for that. Surely there's a statute of limitations there, isn't there? Later, Johnny's on his laptop looking up details of the security guard. Grant something. He left for dead and reads over the original news report online. It looks like the getaway driver was the one that was was responsible. Johnny shuts the laptop when Jenny comes in asking about his appointment and he says that he's heading over right now. And then we see Johnny in deep thought on the street and we're able to piece it together and assume that unseen, Johnny went to hang out around the estate where the security guard used to live and the house where he used to live and one of the people who live there now has followed him back to ask him what he was doing there hanging about outside their house. Mm-hmm. This all makes perfect sense. Yes, yes, because you would follow a strange man who was hanging out outside your house. Rather than phone the police. I wonder right. if this is because of the way that they're filming it. 
that we would have seen this scene happen and this conversation would have happened outside our house. Right. Only we can't have that. So instead, everything has to be brought back to the, to street, the street where it makes no sense that this is how this worked out. Correct. So, Johnny explains that he knew someone who lived there, Grant the security guard. And wouldn't you know it, this is a stranger's son. Was, notices Johnny. So they go to the community garden to discuss this further. Johnny hadn't seen Grant the security guard in 40 years and the mother can do the sums. Grant had just started working as a security guard. Mm. There was a robbery in the first few days and the getaway driver ran him over. He was never the same after that. He became depressed and hit the bottle. He split with his fiancée and then the drink really took hold. And Grant died of cirrhosis of the liver three years after the robbery and he was only 24. The mother wonders if it had been better if he'd died at the side of the road after getting hit. Johnny's chin twitches and he says that he's sorry for her loss. Mm-hmm. So Johnny gets home and finds Jen in the back. He has something to talk to her about, something to tell her. And he says that he's been living a lie. Jenny thinks that it's another woman or a child or he's gay. <laughs> he takes an age to get it out, so to speak, but explains about his time working the markets and how Scott got him to do an illegal caper on a warehouse. They got caught and Johnny got away and Scott got done. Jenny is surprisingly unsympathetic about this. And Johnny explains about Scott and his score that needs to be settled. Jenny has grown bored with this, the time it's taken Johnny to get the story out and has decided to do some washing. He explains that he was forced into doing one more job, which isn't entirely true. He was to be the getaway driver again. Johnny didn't go through with it. He saw Scott had a gun and he turned it on Johnny. Jenny finally twigs that Scott was responsible for the bistro job and she storms out, throwing Scott a filthy look on their way out, while Johnny hobbles at the back of her. Scott gets talked to Dave and Emma and announces that he's leaving town for a new job and asks that they pass it on to Johnny. This is his fond farewell. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, Beth and Kirk are visiting Craig, who is fine, and sitting up in bed at the hospital. Beth is in no mood to celebrate and accuses Craig of thinking with his dick. Yeah, and she's not wrong. And apparently he's getting lots of fan mail from, from ladies... All over town. Oh, yes. Who are impressed with the the heroism of so he's probably not even thinking about Faye anymore because he's got he's got options now. <laughs> More options than, you know, the one single lady on the street. Jenny and Johnny get back. Her oh, walk, except for Emma. Her walk hasn't done a mood any good. She hates Johnny and has worked out why he stayed on in France and all the time he was playing the sympathy card. She knew he was a bit of a lad when she met him and she liked it but this is pathetic he's not the man that she married Johnny claims to be trying to contain Scott and protect her and this does not help matters right and she says protect me by staying in Spain and leaving me France France and and leaving me to deal with this guy alone who had a gun and kept on flirting with her and blah 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 yeah and she's not wrong so now she starts to wonder where the money came from for Oliver's fund whether they paid Johnny to be the driver freedom was his price he says Everything he did was to protect them in their future. Well, that's fucked now, says Jenny. Good job, ass. Later, Johnny has packed Jenny a bag and gathered all the important documents just in case Scott gets bail and she needs to lie low. He's off to shop Scott and turn himself in. Jenny, remarkably, chooses to take offence at this. Three squares a day and all your needs cater for, she says. Meanwhile, she gets to work here, run a pub into the ground because who's going to want to drink in a boozer that's run by a lowlife? Um... <laughs> no one gives a fuck if you serve generous measures and the fruit machine pays out every so often. Nobody cares. No. I think people assume that pubs are generally run by low lives. Right. And hasn't everybody who's ever run the pub <laughs> had some sort of record? Or yeah. some- well, no, because you can't own a pub if you have a record. Right, you can't get a license, yeah. 
Later, the argument continues. The longer he holds out, the more difficult it will be to convince the police that Jenny knew nothing. Jenny's changed her tune. He says that She says that he was blackmailed into being part of the robbery and wanted nothing to do with it and didn't go through with it. He tipped off the police and risked his life. She says his hands are clean. Then Emma comes in wondering if Johnny and Scott have fallen out. He's off to Kent tomorrow. Johnny and Jenny pretend to be nonplussed about the whole thing. If this is for reals, Jenny won't let him go without a word because she loves Johnny a split ball hair more than she hates him. Johnny looks like he will never, for as long as he lives, understand women. Then on Friday, in the morning, Johnny is still in the ship books with Jenny, so he offers to move out, and she cools a little and says none of this was his fault, and at least she knows everything now, and there are no more secrets. Johnny's eyes have, I killed a security guard called Grant, written all over them, but he chooses to stay quiet. In the bar, Scott turns up to say cheerio to Johnny before he leaves. He's carrying a black bag that he's obviously overprotective of when Emma tries to move it because she's cleaning the bar. Then Jenny comes in as Emma leaves, and Jenny is none too happy to see the scoundrel Scott. Emma is through the back and overhears Jenny reading Scott the riot act. She knows everything. Johnny's told her. Scott is a prick, and he knows what's good for him. He'll sling his hook. Scott tries to insinuate that Johnny's just as much of a prick as he is and wonders if Johnny told her about Grant the security guard. Mm, apparently not. And then she hears Scott on the phone. Then Emma hears Scott on the phone to some guy fencing goods. And when Scott steps out, she has a peek in the bag. As instantly Dumb. caught by Scott when he comes back in. Dumb. Why, why would you take a peek in the bag? Why wouldn't you just run in the opposite direction and call the police? Because your friend Craig has just been shot. Right. By this guy. Emma says that she didn't see anything. She didn't see a couple of phones, a couple of watches, a gun and a wad of cash. Scott chooses not to believe her, but reckons a bit of cash might be useful to her, what with Oliver's fund. So he offers her five grand to keep her mouth shut. It can be yours later today. And she's not really sure if she wants anything to do with this. Later, Jenny has closed up the pub and sent Emma home because she looked upset. Jenny obviously not bothering to find out any more than that. Right. Johnny has something to Probably tell Jenny. Probably just assuming that it has something to do with Oliver. Right. He confesses to Grant the security guard and it was his fault. He only clipped him with a car and he went down like a sack of spuds. And when he recovered, he drank himself into an early grave. Jenny is saddened by the story, but even more that she already knew. Scott's told her and Johnny lied to her face again this morning. He said he's told her everything now and that he couldn't say it out loud earlier. But now his mind is made up. He needs to tell the police and Johnny protests. Jenny protests. Jenny protests. Emma meets Scott in the ginnel and hands over the money. Just so you know, I'm only doing this for all of us, she says. Scott couldn't give a fuck and leaves her to it. <laughs> then Craig's home, giving a ride in Kirk's van. As Kirk- right. He was shot on Monday and he's already out of the hospital on Friday. Well, maybe it wasn't as life-threatening as people are trying to make out. He got shot in the shoulder. Well, it was, it was fairly low in the shoulder. He was, like, holding right here. I don't know. Still. I hope he gets into trouble for this. He should get into trouble for this because they told him, (laughs) they explicitly said to him, do not go in. And he did anyway because he's a not very good policeman. As Kirk fusses over Craig, he says he doesn't want any attention, just wants to go back to normal. Johnny sees Craig, Scott sees Johnny seeing Craig, and then Johnny jumps in his car. Emma goes round to see Steve, who's frustrated that the money from streetcars hasn't come through and he's worried that they're going to lose Elliot's help if they don't pay him. She explains that she's transferred five grand in the Imran's account to help with all of her legal fees that's already happened, and Steve is reluctant to accept, but Emma is just glad she can help. Keep it secret, the way. Typical Emma, says Steve with a shake of the head. Does something wonderful and doesn't want any credit. Later, Jenny's ready to open up the pub and finds a note from Johnny on the table through the back. 
He's at the police station. She calls him to put him off. Then Scott comes in with a gun and then waves it about at a really stupid angle. I'll take <laughs> over from here, he says. So Scott takes the phone, threatens Jenny by pointing the gun in her vague direction. Get your arse home, he tells Johnny. So Johnny gets home with a demeanour that immediately says he's about to rat Scott out yet again. <laughs> he claims to have bottled it, that he couldn't betray such a great friend as Scott. Scott isn't falling for it, especially not when he hears sirens. Why would the police have sirens if they're working with Johnny to get Scott? Why would they draw attention to the fact that they're outside? Fuck y'all, we all go out together in a blaze of glory, says Scott. <laughs> he talks about his choice of last meal. Fried chicken and mash and gravy. Oh, I wouldn't recommend that. <laughs> Well, he's probably not going to get it from KFC like you do. <laughs> he's getting sent down for the rest of his life if he hands himself in. He shot a copper after all. He talks about being genuinely happy to see Johnny again and was looking to uh, reconnect. But, and do some <laughs> and do some Robin together, just like the old days. But Johnny stabbed him in the back at every opportunity. He, he toys with the idea of killing Jenny in front of Johnny. Or maybe he and Johnny can go out like Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. <laughs> Johnny begs for Jenny to be Thelma let go. And Louise. And explains that the place is swarming with police. He says, Scott's not a killer, and deep down, he's a good guy. Jenny looks like she's going to faint. Scott drops the gun and walks out the pub, promising to drop Johnny... Jobby? <laughs> promising to drop Johnny in at this time, where indeed he is pounced upon by armed cops on the street for the second time in a week. Police that's armed... that's how we end this week's episode. Police episodes. armed with, like, semi-automatic weapons. Mm -hmm. Not just, you know, pistols. Right. Which is what you would imagine. What what do they think Scott has in there? <laughs> what sort of... What, it's one old guy with a gun. Do you really need semi-automatic weapons pointed fairly closely at the rovers? They, they, they don't know who's going to be coming out initially. Anytime and, you see armed police, that's kind of what they're carrying in the UK. That didn't surprise me. It what just seems so heavy-handed how many... Yeah, they how, were very close. they went behind any cars or... Right, they were right there. Mm -hmm. Right there. They have no idea what this guy's going to come out and do. Uh, Mountain Dew? All these guns. Uh, too many guns, Too many guns. Too many guns in a show from a place where the police don't typically carry guns and... It's very hard to get a gun. I, I we see enough guns on American TV. We we watch British TV to get away from guns. What's was Scott's gun? Mix gun. It looked <laughs> Probably. like it. Probably. Like he he took it out of the no because the police got mixed gun, but it did look like the same gun because they probably couldn't get more than one gun. Right. Because. You know, there's a lot of paperwork you have to do to get a gun on a TV show in the UK. I'm just disappointed that Scott didn't regale Johnny with tales of what they call a quarter pound of a cheese in Kent. <laughs> or, or, or quote Ezekiel 3.6. The path of the righteous man is beset on all sides by the iniquities of the selfish and the tyranny of evil men. Yes, I do know it off my heart. <laughs> I'm, oh, I'm, I was just hoping, I was just praying that Samuel L. Jackson was going to burst out from the other room. I watched an awful lot of that, hoping that my eyes were deceiving me, <laughs> that we weren't watching what what we were watching. But we were. Uh, it was... From, from the clown mask on, it's just... 
the, the whole idea of it was just nonsense from start to finish. This that, is true. The insistence and, that Johnny had to be involved in it. Right. Yeah. Which when, makes no sense. Even if you had a score to settle, if you want this to go well, do not involve Johnny in this. Yes, an old man with MS. Get Jenny. Even if before you, you get Johnny. Right. Even if you don't believe that he has MS. I, look at him. Right? <laughs> Just look at him. Right? He's not He's not acting. And how did he? How did he get? How did Scott get away from the the bistro anyway? The, the siren sounded pretty close. Right. He just ran out the front door and just disappeared. Or ran out the back and disappeared. Uh, and uh, and you're right. You sh- we should have seen like flashlights at least, peering down the gunnels and stuff, immediately after a policeman's been shot. It's like the police don't even care about Craig. No. There was no presence the next day. No. There's there's no like knocking on doors in the neighborhood. Scott does not take off and he's... just book it after shooting a policeman. He hangs and around. Robbing. He hangs around. He acts like everything is fine. He's carrying his gun in a bag. <laughs> the gun he just shot a policeman with, he's carrying it around in a bag. That he leaves on the bar to go outside and make a phone call. Right. What? At, at, towards the end, when he's making his what? big speech about, uh, you know, he's, he's not going to kill anybody. He's, he's dropping the gun and he's about to go out. But he's making his speech about how he wanted to get back and be friends with Johnny and all that. And I'm watching this poor <sighs> actor standing there. Saying these lines that he must know are just pish. Mm. Yeah. That this this character is uh, it's so flat and doesn't work on on really any level. It's supposed to be this big hard man who beat up Scottish Vicky and Right and Jordan. That's a storyline that kinda went nowhere. Right. And then when it sort of seemed like it was coming back to be something, when Peter let slip that he really did blame Carla for the whole rape thing, then that went away again. Right. And it's like, we're not even going to explore that because maybe we botched that to begin with. What, uh, what happened is something that required no plan. Mm-hmm. That the plan that he was talking about, we're talking about two people. We were led to believe that was supposed to be associates there that there was going to be half a dozen people there or something not just ray weinstein and johnny vegas playing cards right yeah there was supposed to be well maybe because of social distancing and stuff they could only have two people at the table so go and rob the table and leave and then drive away right it's not exactly oceans 11 is it no it's not even oceans 13 it's not even oceans 8 let's face it but I quite enjoyed Ocean's 8, I have to say. I like all the Ocean's movies. I'm just disappointed there isn't a 9 and 10 with a woman. Because right. that makes 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 and 13. That's kind of where I think they were going to go with it. And then they didn't. Because it didn't really do very well at the box office. Because of incels. Anyway. <laughs> I'm looking at you, Craig. Anyway. And, yeah. The, it's the same with the, with the Lady Ghostbusters movie. Although we didn't get that other Ghostbusters remake this summer because of COVID. And you were really excited about that. Mm-hmm. I remember when the trailer came up for that movie. Anyway. And you shouted, yes, please, at a crowded theater. Because <laughs> you were so excited about 
that Ghostbusters movie with the kid from Stranger Things. So Scott. Egon's son or something. I don't know. Okay. So Scott. I'm glad. uh, This must be it. I'm glad it's done. This is a storyline that should never have been a storyline. No. The, the the more guns that you throw at Coronation Street, the less believable, believable it becomes. Not that it's believable or meant to be believable. But no. It, but you go along with it. The more guns that you have, the less that you're willing to go along with it. Right. And at this point, I just wanted this to be done and I wanted somebody to die. Preferably Scott. Right. I would accept Todd or Billy. But... <laughs> Stop! Billy, that's what I you cannot... Billy is immortal. We already know this because somebody already threw him down a cliff and he's fine. <laughs> he bounced he's back. He's not even maimed. He's not even in a wheelchair. Peter threw him down a cliff and he walks around. He's like War Machine. <laughs> <laughs> Who fell from the sky in the Avengers movie. I don't know what you're talking about. I know you don't. Here's a question for you. Okay. Moment of the week. You know what I'm going to say. That's going to be Evelyn and Roy. Roy playing Scrabble. I don't really think there's anything else that I can pick out. That did bring me joy. It, it brought me joy. It was delightful. It was well It was well shot. It was well acted. It was gratifying. It made sense. It was a believable storyline. Right. Which gives it a, a, a Arthur boost having a secret wife? Absolutely believable. Right. You know, that he has this wife who I is... I kind of suspected it. Yeah. For a couple of weeks. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with that storyline. It is the perfect Coronation Street storyline. I wish all storylines... <laughs> right. <laughs> of people complaining that, uh, oh, Arthur has a wife somewhere who's got dementia or... That's mm-hmm. Had a stroke. Or, or otherwise incapacitated. Mm-hmm. The Scott storyline, to people who are complaining about that, mm-hmm. just focus on the Scott storyline. Yeah. Okay. So, or Roy and Evelyn playing Scrabble, her Mystics. realizing what she has, and that word is our moment of the week. Moment of the week. Boring moment of the week. Ray Weinstein bantering with Johnny Vegas. Mm. That was so boring. Their banter wasn't even very good. He had better banter with his associates before when it was Bethany that was all tarted up. Yeah, okay, fair enough. I don't care. That's a boring moment of the week. Boring moment of the week. So, if you've ever, I don't know, (laughs) if you have any better ideas how Craig can get Faye away from her Canadian boyfriend who isn't even Canadian, drop us a line at the top of the street at gmail.com that's how you can get in touch with us on e- email it's also our voicemail address on Skype and our PayPal address on PayPal our PayPal address on PayPal if you want to drop us a couple of bucks for Please. our virtual tip jar we're at Corey Podcast on Twitter on Facebook and on Instagram and please leave a rating and review on iTunes if you feel so way inclined thanks for making it to the end of another episode we'll be back next week with more Talk of the Street Take care, folks. Ciao. Bye-bye. Royal with cheese.